Hey, this is Rich from the Metal Cell Podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Dave from Farnworth. How are you, Dave? Thanks for coming on. I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? Great. And I have my co-host as usual, Joe. How are you, Joe? Pretty good, man. Good to meet you, Dave. Good to meet you too, Joe. Happy birthday for, what, was a couple couple weeks ago? Hey, yeah. (laughs) I've been uh, getting cake and all sorts of extravagances, like so. (laughs) Very good. I'm not going to be uh, impolite and ask you your age, but you're looking good anyway, whatever age you are, Joe, fair play to you. Happy birthday, dude. Cheers, well, I'm going to be 40 next year, so. Oh, 40 next year. Fucking hell. Where has those those wonderful days gone, Joe, when you were like carefree in your 20s, trashing like a maniac? (laughs) Pissed off the side of a wall is where they went, man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've been doing it for 30 years myself, so. Yep. <laughs> so no complaints. So anyway, Dave, um, delighted to have you on. Uh, Jesus, that EP you released, um, Your Weapons, Your Words, certainly shone like a, a bright diamond in the metal scene um, for a lot of us down here anyway. So congratulations on that, first of all. Thank you very much. Um, what was the reception? Uh, was it hard to gauge the reception? Especially since it's a digital release, I think we we can only go by numbers at the minute. You know, everything was cancelled, so yeah, you're just going by what Spotify tells you, and you know what people are maybe you know messaging saying, "Oh, here we love this song," or "Love this song." So it's been positive. It's got us a few. It's opened a few doors. So Good. yeah, it's, it, I'm I'm very very happy with it. I mean, well, the four of us are very happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any uh, any thought, Dave, about originally holding back the release until the end of all this crap, or were you just like, you know, like let's let's just get it out? So the EP was actually that was on the way to be an album, and okay. when we were writing, I'm a thought right, well, we can't let a year go by and not do anything. So there was maybe fifteen to twenty songs we've been playing with. They were the four that were pretty much finished. Um, wow. So, right, let's do it. We'll release. So we released Afterthought a while ago. Like, it was mm. it was back at the end of 2020. Twice, um, yeah. yeah. And it was just going to be a single to get sort of 2020 over and done. Um, and then with nothing sort of going, with everything going the same way for this year, just thought, right, let's cut our losses. We'll get four songs. We'll stick them out, do two two more singles and, you know, we can be working in the background doing album, whatever it is, but at least that gives us a bit of momentum to keep everything going. Yeah. Um, and it, thankfully, it's, it's you know, it has kept, it's kept us motivated anyway. I think if we had have went down and finished an album and then released the album, we would have been sitting like on our hands now going, uh, now, now yeah. what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's, there's certainly something to be said about having a kind of cap, captive audience through the whole COVID thing. You know, there were so many bands waiting until it was over. So there was a kind of bit of a hole in the market, really. So I think maybe it was probably a bit easier to get some attention, you know, during yeah. the COVID days. Whereas the rest of the time, there's so many releases coming out every single week. It's hard to hard to get noticed, you know? No, that's exactly. We, um, at the, when it first happened, we were looking at it going, uh, what do we do? And... There's the whole big argument in the industry about social media and, you know, is this the way that it's going forward and stuff? And to be honest, if 
that didn't exist, we wouldn't have been a band for two years. Mm. It just wouldn't mm. have happened. And, you know, we sort of, we've learned a lot from it because we did have to like change our entire perception of how we were going to do a release. You know, there was no EP launch. There's no, you know, we're only getting CDs now because yeah. what do we do with that? And um, that's good that you're getting CDs <laughs> for the old school lad here. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, well, I, mean I, I always like having a CD. Even if I only get yeah. one, I yeah. want the CD in my hand. I want to say, look, mm. here's, I know yeah. you can hear it, but here's a physical thing that yeah. I have done. So yeah. class. Class and um, so like as I said, you're only formed since 2019. So mm. how many gigs did you get under your belt? <laughs> Three. Jesus Christ Almighty! Yeah, because I'd hand on and they'd only one gig. Yeah. Joe, it's, isn't that nuts? Isn't it just for bands like that, just not to even experience? It goes to show though how far you know things have come. That like obviously if you have a bit of experience playing in other bands and stuff, but mm. you know people get so good at home recording and, you know, their chops end up being so great that bands coming straight out of the gate have great yeah. sound demos. Whereas like 20 years ago, bands would be bringing out five or six awful sound demos before they, you know, could yeah. get it together enough, you know? Um, I think it's, it's one of those things as well now, if you're not sort of coming out with a slightly more polished product, you sort of, because there's so much out there now that, as you said, does sound like you know you've been doing it for years and it's just coming straight out if you sort of don't come out with that you kind of just get sort of swept under the rug a wee bit you know because the rest of them going oh yeah. that doesn't sound neat and tidy let's move on to the next band mm. um, well i mean he chose well with josh oh, jesus like i mean <laughs> i'm just sick really, like, to my teeth i've mentioned him on the fucking show he's just so <laughs> fucking good like um, we, we we did well. It wasn't a podcast. We sort of did our own wee thing where we were just talking about the, the tracks, that, yeah. the old EP, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And I think out of maybe the nine that we released, he's mentioned in every single one of them. Yeah, and it's you know, I think nowadays for for the work that man does, you'd be stupid not to go to. Especially if you're a metal band. If he's not available, then you're looking at alternatives. <laughs> Simple as that. Like, I mean, you yourself and Joe were in uh, Cartier City before Farnwolf. Is that correct? Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I watched the video of you, but is it Zero Gravity, is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can see that you kind of got the sound heavier, obviously, with Farnwolf, but uh, that was a great video, man. But again, the, <laughs> the funny thing is, Josh is in that video. Is he really? Oh, God. You may not see him, but he was there. He was there because it was... Um, <laughs> We had done the video with Empty Horoscope, so that was Carl and all that kind of stuff. And he was, um, I actually think Josh came down the last the band before Cartius, which was Aldous. Um, Josh wanted to record Aldous, but for whatever reason, we all broke up, so that never happened. He came down that night to basically talk to us about our next recordings and wanted to record Cartius City the next time, um, and that was it you know we were like well Cartier City sort of broke up after that which is terrible because the game was sort of it was always you were getting momentum and then something happened and then that was it life took over so whenever we started Foreign Wolf we were like Josh is a no-brainer we're going to him and Cartier City you were kind of a bit more punkier weren't you really it was pop punk and yeah. I wasn't even an original member in that band that band okay. went through about three or four iterations before I even came into it Right. Um, 
and it slowly got heavier and heavier. You know, towards the end, you were looking more along the sort of lines of the sort of heaviness of like four years strong or something like that. You know, a bit more shouty, a bit more up tempo, fast pace, bit mm-hmm. sort of you know, blast beats, everything that kind of, that kind of stuff in it. Um, and then it was when that ended, Jared and I, we had written a bunch of songs and uh, obviously that's where the informal came in because we just sort of took the, about four or five of the songs we had and started incorporating them in and made them a wee bit heavier. First EP came out, that was, that first EP was essentially the transition. That was the songs that had been written for Car Chase okay. that then came into Formal. Um, and then we just sort of went from there and just started getting a little bit heavier because mm. who doesn't like a bit heavy yeah there's a really strong punk scene in Belfast uh, why is that is there any I, I have no idea I think you're probably going back to um, undertones and um, yeah, fingers lemons, you know that's just sort of yeah. stemmed from there um, yeah, you've got a lot of um it's just it, non-stop every, every time I see yeah. something there's punk in it. I think that's actually how Car Chase did as well as it did because of the sort of the pop punk and the punk and you know all the sort of in and outs of it one thing I can say as well man is that like in my experience uh, playing because we started out playing with punks and stuff in Belfast as well and they're really, really open-minded people in terms of like, you know, they like thrash, they like Iron Maiden, they like whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas it can be kind of the other way around sometimes, you know, black metal and stuff that can be very kind of like, you know, or metal in general sometimes can be quite uh, picky about what, what they're into, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think kind of books, especially if something's heavy or fast, they can get behind it, you know. So mm-hmm. No, I think the, the good thing about up in, in sort of Belfast is the venues you have and the promoters, you know, you've got like the James Love Day, you've got Johnny, you've, all them guys, they're open to any kind of music. And yeah. they, they know, mix and match, match it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw like we, um, when I was in Aldous, you know, we had never played a show um, because we knew James, he put us on to, it was like the first Hellfast thing they did, which was like, it was in the Limelight 2 or cells or storm zone it was but it was like we were completely different than storm zone you know storm zone was the kind of like the horror metal the 80s you know it's and then you had um uh trigger man you know which was again yeah. a completely different style of metal but there was about six or seven bands and they all went together very very neatly on a bill even though it was completely different and everybody yeah. who was there loved every single minute of it and um how did you settle on the name foreign wolf uh, a bit of cliche, I suppose. Um, apart from me and Jared, everyone has sort of come from different. Like, so Mick, our drummer, he had come from Paper Tigers. Jay had been in a oh, band Paper Tigers, okay, yeah. Um, Mick was what? Mick, Mick was the drummer in Paper Tigers. Right, okay. Are they still going, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're still going. Uh, they rehearsed like two doors across from us <laughs> and make um, it still in them see no 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 okay. not anymore oh, yeah. yeah um but they're, they're doing very well as well but it was jay then the bass player jay was in a band called crisis um and so we were all kind of we didn't really know like me and jared apart from me and jared like we didn't really know jay and we didn't really know mick but mm-hmm. we'd sort of come across them yeah so the whole it was the wolf pack cliche all that <laughs> <laughs> 
but it went with the fact that we were all foreign to each other. That's just that's where that's what that's what the band foreigner got their name from as well. They didn't know oh, each really? other, so they called, called themselves foreigner. <laughs> ah, I did not know that. Um, there you go. Fair play, Joe. The Jimmy McGee of metal, but originally it was actually Brilliant. Fallen Wolf. Um, Fallen. Okay. We'd been, the, the bands that we've been in, we'd all sort of fallen out of it. Ah, uh, again, cool. that was the thing. But we thought that's uh, a wee bit too depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Did you uh, self-finance the first release? Yeah, yeah every, everything so far has been self-financed. Um, this, obviously, this, the second EP is out and has been out from May. Mm-hmm. Um, that attracted the record label. So Wormhole came across... I just said, right, well, we like what you've done, but we want to re-release it through us. So it's yep. still, obviously, it's still on Spotify. It's still on YouTube, mm. all that kind of stuff. It's just, they'll be in October, I think maybe a week before, it'll all come off, and then it'll all get put back on and redistributed and re-promoted through them. Which, yeah. again, it's considering it was only a four-track EP, it's sort of, it's kept the momentum of it going. It means that, you know, we had a wee bit more time to then sit back and say, okay, well, we can write a bit more now. We're not having to push for something like a, a single release towards the end of the year. Um, um, it's just getting a second wind, uh, second life to it next year. Early next year, maybe, will be when the album's coming out. I was listening to an interview that I think it was you, Dave, that was doing with some guy. For, he was an American. And he was... Oh, okay. Yeah, and he was saying that he might have a record label for you. That's was that it. Was that wormhole? Yep. You are shitting me. Go yep. away. Torgo. Wow. Wow. It's that just, cool. we've just touched lucky, honestly. Like, that, that's why we just keep, just take away, just, we're obviously doing something right at the minute. So, until that needs changed, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Um, yeah. Um, we've just been very, very lucky. So, we're going to give a listen to uh, my favorite song on the EP. And it's one of those songs that I love playing when I'm drinking and it's just got that <laughs> vibe off it as well. Uh, this is Afterthought.
Man, that sound is so big. Like the way Jord delivers that chorus, it, it, there's a band there from America called Jawbreaker. Very few people know of them, but uh, check them out, man. Chesterfield King is the song, and uh, that sound. You know what I love as well about you is your, your guitars never seem to be playing the same rhythm lead. So that was a big thing for me. I'd been in too many bands where the, the two guitars were playing. I'd seen too many bands where the guitars playing the same thing. I grew up on Thin Lizzy. <laughs> yeah. those guitar players never played the same thing <laughs> yeah yeah. and I think if you have two guitar players what's what's the point you know doing what one person could do just do something different yeah like what knocked me on my ass then I just see then that you're you're looking for um, a singer not anymore oh thank Christ <laughs> had to convince him <laughs> That's there, like, if uh, you're listening do not fucking <laughs> give up on this, man. You're putting too much emotion. Maybe he just doesn't like playing in front of crowds. Has he got that kind of anxiety thing? Or? No, 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 he just... Do you know what? There's... At the minute, <clears throat> there's stuff going on. Sometimes you just can't avoid it. And home life, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Just, you know... There's just stuff going on. But as I said, we, we, I was at a meeting with him this, uh, this evening. We all went out for coffee. Because we had been talking about it, we'd done a live stream, and he uh, he came away from it. He was, oh, I think we might be better with a front man. Like he was, he was, he was never going anywhere. Yeah, he was always stand. Um, mm. and he would have done the heavy stuff, and he still would have been singing. Um, I think he just at that time he maybe I don't know a confidence knock. I don't know. I yeah. I said to Josh as well because I I messaged Josh and went, do you know anyone? And he's like. Will you tell that man why so? Like, yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> no, that's not happening. <laughs> Joe, um, I'd be interested to hear your view on it. Yeah, like getting a singer in, like it's it's one of those things. It's like having a manager for your band. If you have an amazing singer, frontman, brilliant, worth their weight in gold. But like because the band seems to be like you guys have got such a closely knit organization, and the singing already sounds great. It does yeah. Can, like. The, the thing that you'd be risking is really adding someone into the mix who mightn't be on the same wavelength as you and then having to go through the thing of changing singers, you know, and it really, it's the one thing that like can really rob bands of momentum and stuff like that, you know? So like whenever I heard the EP, I was like, Oh my God, this sounds great. But Richie said, Oh yeah, they're looking for a singer. I was a bit like, man, I don't think this is the right move at all. Like, you know, cause like, as I said, if you can keep it in house, important thing, is your friendship, you know, like if you can stay being best mates. You know, he sang in Car Chase, but in Car Chase, I sang as well, and our bass player sang as well, so it was like sort of split duties. Um, and, you know, he's very honest tonight, you know, and I know he won't mind me saying this because we're very open with everything that goes on in our life, hence the EP, you know. We called it therapy because it was just us getting all the skeletons out of the closet onto some sort of music so that you know, the next time we write something, it can be maybe a wee bit happier. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, I just said, I don't want, listen, if you've taken a confidence, not, you know, it, it's not as if we've gigs tomorrow, you know, we can sit down, we can work this out and we can, you know, get your confidence back. And if he says, no, 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 it's, I, th I think part of him, he just, he loves playing guitar. And, um, yeah. you know, sometimes the singing part of it it gets in the way of him playing guitar. <laughs> um, yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, but why would we get someone, you know, we're, we're now looking for someone who can do better than 
what you've already done. Um, and that, is, that is the thing, man. It's always like it's a case of you're trying to find someone who can do exactly what he, he's doing. But, you know, I don't know. It, it always seems like you what you're really doing is trying to like outsource it to someone who's not going to do as good a job or not be on the same wavelength. So it is just, like, I think he's definitely made the right call. I said he, he was still going to sing, um, even if we did get a new singer in. But again, it was when we were sitting talking about this tonight, we just looked at it and went, you know, next year's going to be a big year because we're able to gig again. Fingers crossed, yep. you know, we've, um, we were meant to be touring in May <laughs> off the back of the first initial release of the EP. Yeah. That got cancelled. It's now rescheduled for February. Um, and as I, you, you know, we're, we're, yes, we've got a bit of operating time if we decide that we need someone in. I like, but quite frankly, I would more, I'd feel more confident if we took those four months and, you know, if we need to focus a bit more on vocals and, you know, mm. you know, give you, give yeah. you a week at a time to sort of get the strength back, then yeah, I'd rather do that. Yeah. I was just giving Joe the example of Sinnocence where, um, yeah, where Morrow was the singer and they got in Dwayne and then Morrow eventually left. Um, yeah. and you know, um, it lead a worker won't, you know? And yeah. I mean, we're massive fans here of fucking George vocals. It's the emotion he portrays in all those songs. It's going to be very hard, hard to replicate it as a singer that's coming in fresh who hasn't wrote the lyrics yeah. as well. Like, I mean... And you know what like, as well, man? See, coming from a pure nuts and bolts uh, direction on it, there's lots of tours and stuff like that where it can come down to how many bunks there are on the bus for the opening band, you know? And if you're a five-piece it can be harder, you know, and yeah. sometimes that's the kind of deal. It's like, you know, especially younger band cutting your teeth and stuff touring, you're cutting a fifth of the cost of being in the band, you know, another airplane seat, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Mm-hmm. No, you're just right. And I said, you know, we, all these plans are in, you know, it's, we were actually, we've been speaking with Johnny McKee about trying to get maybe one or two dates this year. You know, we're not, we're not mad on, getting big in this year we we've, we've done quite a a bit um we've done we've done a lot more than we thought we were going to do this year so we're quite happy to wait until you know next february and, and get across you know to the uk play a couple of dates here play a couple of dates there and um you know it gives it gives him time to you know really he doesn't even he doesn't even need to step his game up he just needs to find the love of it again he just needs to be like yeah i'm quite happy to sing what what, what, what was i even talking about yeah. yeah, but you'll, you'll see if you go on the Facebook page, that post is gone. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, I came across it, was it? But I was doing research there the other day, so maybe so. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was before Facebook crashed last night and left thousands of millions of because people homeless. That, that's exactly what happened. We put up a Facebook post saying we need a new singer and Facebook just went haywire. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Springsteen was applying and everyone. Like, <laughs> I know, like, my inbox, I couldn't sit <laughs> Um, the power of language. Let's talk about that. Your weapons, your words. Um, the lyrics right through that EP are excellent. There's there's a lot of lot of deep stuff there with addiction and obviously relationships uh, breaking up, uh, especially with afterthoughts. There, the lyrics, and I want you to know that I feel you every day. Just because we are together doesn't mean a thing. Um, stuff like that is um, it's basic. The lyrics, 
but the way a juror delivers it then it's the fucking punch and the emotion that he throws through it we'll say for a track like alone then if we used to write symphonies this song is allow your weapons or your words and you mess with my mind that's that's brilliant talk us through the lyric process so with afterthought um <laughs> believe it or not after afterthought was released <laughs> my fiance came up to me and went who's that song about oh it's, no <laughs> we had split the like the, the first verse of that i had written Jared with the second verse, I'd written the chorus. And she goes, who are you talking about? I went, no, no, no. I was like, just, it's, a, it's metaphorical. I was like, the, the concept is you're in a relationship with your depression. You know, it's, mm. this is how you feel about your depression. You can't, and it is, you, you, you know, all four of us have went through it. You know, some of us are still going through it. And when you're in something like that, it does, it is, it's a relationship and it is with you every single day, you know? Um, so that, that's where that sort of those lurks came from. It was, it was like talking about a relationship, but to us, it was more talking about, you know, the issues that we had went through and how we dealt with them and how we sort of came out the other side from it. Um, the same with alone. So <laughs> alone is about relationship relationships. It's not about depression or anything. Um, and again, it was just, it was the same idea of, you know, we'd, we'd been in these relationships that weren't going anywhere, but we were afraid to leave them because one, there was, we didn't know what was outside, but we've just, at that, at that point in life, we felt comfortable saying, oh no, well, we're in this relationship. So at least we have that going for us. Um, and if you take that away, what have you got? Where were you, where are you with? So you know, the idea of your weapons, your words, and this is why we chose it for the EP title. It's just talk about it. Honestly, just if you're going through depression, if you're going through mental health, if you're going through relationship problems, if you're going through addiction problems, just talk about it. Just find someone who's going to listen. And trust me, there's millions of people who will listen um, and just talk to them. But it's very, it's very, um, it's a very healthy thing, man, to have a band where you guys can talk about that sort of thing. You get a lot of bro culture, you know, all that kind of sort of toxic masculinity that kind of comes with it, you know. And mm-hmm. I think for a lot of bands, it's a taboo subject, you know. And it, again, it tends to be in the sort of more fucking death metal, black metal kind of thing, you know. And I think yeah. it's really encouraging to see bands that not only that you know amongst themselves they can talk about this kind of thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's. That was, that was the, again, the reason why we sort of scheduled it. So originally it was released in May during Mental Health Awareness Week. Again, it was just another thing that we thought, well, this is a good time to release it because it's what it's about. It's what we're talking about in it. Um, and I did, like I was that person for a long time where I didn't want to speak about anything and it drove me into the ground. Uh, honestly, like I just got to a point where I wasn't getting out of bed, I wasn't leaving, I wasn't leaving the house, I wasn't doing anything. And the minute I decided to myself, I'm going to say something to someone here, um, that was it. it. just made it easier. So I was with my fiance, I just said, uh, I'm not well, something's wrong with me. And from there, went to a counsellor, or went to a doctor, went to a counsellor, and just started it. Um, and it's a lot easier than people might think. Oh, it's it, uh, uh, we've like the metal community has lost so many people over the last year or two years because of this COVID and just them not being able to cope. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It is scary. And, you know, if you're listening, there's a, there's people there, as Dave said, that are there to help you. So, you know, please talk. It can be, it can be a very scary thing as well in terms of Ireland. Like, you know, whenever you look at all of our heroes, like, you know, Phil Lynott, Gary Moore, Roy Gallagher, like, you know, all these guys ended up the same way, kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's certainly something about being Irish, you know, in our relationship with booze, especially where, you know, the, it's all about a crack kind of thing tends to overshadow, you know, how people actually get on with it, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just right. And, uh, again, it's... Again, I, I was lucky that I, I never... I've never been involved in an addiction or anything like that. And I'm sort of lucky that I was never... I, I didn't get that low or, you know, or I wasn't in that sort of state of mind where I turned to alcohol abuse or I turned to, you know, drugs or anything like mm. that. Because I think one, once you hit that point, it's an even slippier slope than you were on before. Yeah. You, you yeah. hit that crossroads and it's like, if you go down one side, there's probably no return from it. And if you go down the other, yeah. it's it's all uphill. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, this year and a half has definitely tested people more than than they could ever imagine and uh, the fact that you're you're after coming out with a fantastic EP to channel all that is um, pretty fucking amazing considering the way it's come out and uh, just want to talk to you as well about the cover of the album who came up with that concept uh, I think it was Jared Jared found it Jared was um, we were originally there was a lot of different ideas going around you know there was a lot of Originally, it was very sort of in like a, a rundown industrial kind of setting, and that you know, we would have had like abandoned warehouse and like empty doorways and mm. things like that. And that was sort of concept that we want to use for the single releases. You know, one single would have been like this empty doorway, another single, thanks of afterthought, just the, the, the chair sitting by itself. Yeah, you know, we wanted everything to sort of have its own identity, but at the same time, then when it came to releasing the singles for the EP. We thought, no, we'll try and tie them into the cover. So the only thing on the two EPE singles was the very, very faint logo in the background. And then it was just either a black or a very, like, sort of subtle, starry background. The forest idea came into when it was Jared had said he wanted that sort of idea where it was either, like, on the... It was going to be on the front cover. It was a guy going into a forest, and on yeah. the back cover, it was going to be a guy coming out of the forest. And the yeah. idea was that was him going in, yeah. facing everything, and then coming back out. Um, and then when we put the logo over it, we just thought, you know what? Let's just leave it at that. Let's just leave it as the the forest and the clouds, and yeah. you know, it has its meaning to us. We we know what it is, and it's just you know, this is what you're facing, and you know, yeah, you can come out of it very easily. Again, it suits the songs. It was um, uh, actually a good idea. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. In relation to the band, you said that Wormhole Dead are involved. Have you got merch coming through that? We actually we have, we have our own merch. Um, again, to to a point, we like being as self sufficient as we can. Um, so it's not on Bandcamp though I was looking for it on Bandcamp so again, we're doing it through it's it's a printer like a printing company so they're linked into our big cartel page okay um, I'm sure we could probably get it linked on the Bandcamp as well at some point but mm. um, 
want the shameless plug. <laughs> this is what the show is for. Come on, There we go. So we came out with our own hoodie design, which again, just very simple. If we can get this open. Is that a hoodie or a t-shirt? That's a hoodie. Ah. Okay. Plain yeah. and simple. But again, we sort of, one of the things that we hated was if we went to a concert or anything like that, sometimes the quality of the t-shirts or the hoodies just aren't that great. Mm. So yeah. this is this is good quality stuff. Um, sort of paid the extra for it and just, you know, just lasts a bit longer. We, we did originally actually have a bit of a collaboration deal with a company called Low Six over in England. And they had done a sort of limited run of hoodies and t-shirts that they designed for us with like the form of logo and stuff. Um, um, so we'll probably, probably end up doing something again with them uh, if we go to do an album. Gamma Bomber on the ball with merch. Um, mm-hmm. Any advice you can give Farm Wolf in relation mm-hmm. to merch? Just have as much as possible, really. Um, like every band's demographic is so different, really. It's trying to figure out um, you know, Farn Wolf, what uh, what do your fans want? You know, like our fans tend to be vinyl or patches and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, like man, a, a full merch table, you can end up meeting people, like even if there's only 20 people at the gig, you could meet like people who are at the merch who are going to buy everything that you have for sale. So yeah. just the more, the more you can have, the better. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, like I would imagine that the label will end up getting you in touch with like a, a big merch company in the US or in the UK yeah. and stuff. Because like the, there's a weird thing whenever you're doing local gigs like and you're bringing your own T-shirts and stuff or selling T-shirts to your mates and stuff is one thing. But like it's like you don't really want to end up in a situation where you're having to go to the post office every week and, you know, posting 100 T-shirts mm-hmm. to Alice Ababa or wherever you are selling T-shirts, you know, so. Um, the sooner you can get all that sorted out, the better. But yeah. man, like I think one of the major major coups that you guys have got going on is see working with the orchard. Like that's that's like the the bees knees, man. They're really yeah. like they're absolutely fantastic at uh, getting you know, onto the right playlist and Spotify and stuff. And it it'll really change the band from whatever hits he's having now to getting like you know ten or twenty thousand a month. You know. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> fingers crossed. And like that's all that stuff now actually counts is like we charted on the billboard chart in America because of Spotify hits, you know. So yeah. it's weird, like, you know, as much as you know, yeah, CDs and vinyls are definitely a very important part of the game. But like I don't know how many CDs you sold of the last thing, maybe if it was like like oh, whatever we amount that, that, again, it was we had just released it and we had sort of organising gigs and we thought, right, okay, well, we'll see how the first gig goes, just sort of dip our feet in the water. And, yeah. you know, okay, then we'll maybe go and start getting merch in and getting CDs and stuff. And then lockdown. <laughs> yeah. So there's just, there hasn't even been that opportunity, to be honest. And you can push it online all you want, but I think the, the only, there's a bad, like, Beautiful Creed, their merch, like, it's insane. Like yeah. every single time I see, I'm on Facebook, you see someone in the States posting up in like the Beautiful Creed family saying, oh, just got your t-shirt or drove past this guy and there's Beautiful Creed and stuff. And, you know, they've put a serious amount of work into that. And I think that would probably be the next step. It's just, you know, 
it's sort of taken. I always looked at merch going, you know, you have merch for gigs, and that's sort of where you sort of make your money at the gigs if you if you're not really getting paid that much. Um, so I haven't really tried to push anything online. It's available, and we have yeah. you know shown that's available, but. It's, as I said again, you need to put a link in um, for that big cartel because just looking for mm-hmm. your your merch and I was going fuck it. I thought they had merch, just stuff like that. Just, you still have the time now to get all that ready before, yeah, to, before the release. Yeah, before twenty twenty two. You know, um, what about uh, any advice, Joe, on getting to the UK and Europe? You have the hunger. You're prepared to tour, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's fine. Like you know, I guess like you guys are, aren't twenty and stuff, so it's trying to find. What's the smart way of doing it uh, where you can keep the longevity of the band is also dependent on everybody keeping their job or, you know, if people have kids in the band, you know, you can't really be, you know, yeah. that second really. So like it's trying to find uh, ins into ways to get over and start doing England and stuff. But we met uh, Shane McGowan on the ferry from Hollyhead over to um, Dublin or whatever, once come back from doing gigs, this is like a year and years ago. And he said, you know, any band that's ever made it out of Ireland has made it the same way yeah. by getting that boat over, you know. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's it, man. Just to, like, again, there's there's super cheap ways of doing all that kind of stuff. Um, we used to row, but nobody in the band would get a driving license because no one wanted to, you know, have to drive the band around. So <laughs> the first one of the first tours we did with Exodus over in England, we were getting the megabus between cities, like which was like one one quid <laughs> between each city. <laughs> you know, carrying your head and a box of merch and your guitar and stuff. So that's definitely the way to do it. You know, at the start and just build it from there. Mm-hmm. No, I I agree. I think there's a lot of bands in Northern Ireland who I think are afraid to like, as you said, get on the boat and go, but. I think once you've made that decision that that's what you're going to do, yep. it, it sort of adds a bit of kudos to you. It's like, yes, there's a band who's willing to yeah. step outside their comfort zone and go. And and it's, hugely, just... but it's hugely important as well, man, in the sense of like, you know, if you have loads and loads of mates in Belfast or Lisbon and stuff, like, they're, like they are fans of your band, but they're also not the fans of your band you want to be playing in front of. You're better yeah. playing in front of 10 people in Birmingham than 100 of your mates, you know, in Belfast kind of thing, you know? That's what I've said. I, that, that's like one of my mottos. It's like your mum and dad aren't your fans. Yeah. You know, you can, you can play to your mates and your mum and dad and all that kind of stuff, but it's that's not your audience. Your audience is the people who genuinely want to listen to your music, not just because you know them. Like there's an awful lot of people, Dave, that listen to this show in the UK. Um, I built up uh, great relationships with uh, bands over in Scotland, especially. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like, definitely have a look at that. Um, certainly, and uh, there's a lot of venues over in Scotland, and mm-hmm. you know, We're and actually- and you know, do swap tours and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, that's the next step. Now everything is over. I said the the tour we had in May. It was over in England as well. You know, it was Northampton, it was um, Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, Cardiff. Brilliant. Um, so we're going in February. Um, the order, the dates hasn't really been set, but it, it is at the minute being set for probably late February. Um, so we're just excited. We can't wait, you know, get yeah, on, on the boat, where we go. Yeah, and you're... you're, you're um, fucking... Go on, Joe. Sorry. I was just going to say, just getting away with your mates and having fun. It's like, 
you know, lock, that's the thing apart from gigging that lockdown is like deprived us of is like going on adventures and, you know, getting to sort of grow your, your relationships with your mates. So. And the songs that you're, you're touring with as well will come across fantastic live. You're touring a strong EP. You're touring two really strong EPs, really. Yeah. And um, that, that goes a, a, certainly a long way in winning over a crowd and hopefully Jor will stick with the with the singing. Oh, well, that, 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 he's the wise up. <laughs> we sorted him tonight, don't worry, he's singing. <laughs> he has no choice. It's too good. <laughs> he just doesn't. Well, sometimes you just need to be with a, um, you know, yeah, you, you can do this, don't worry. Just keep going. With the, the songs that you have, we'd say, that are going to be going on to the album, are, is there much of a diversity in them? Are you... Yeah. Is there really? Okay. Mm, huge. Well, um, it's gone, you know, uh, there's there's quite a bit of diversity in the four songs on the EP yeah. already. Um, there's a lot more of that, you know, so it's, again, I think we're very lucky in that all four of us like completely different music. We all like the same music as well, but, you know, when it gets a bit further afield, like Jay listens to metal or like clowncore, you know, like... What is it? Clowncore. It's like a... Exactly. I I didn't even realize it's a genre of metal, but we've listened to it and it exists. You know, I love my my rock, I love my Thin Lizzy, I love my, uh, you know, Def Leppard, I love my White Snake, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's the melody. Yeah. And as soon as you start coming, bringing all those four things together, you know, it's hard to make 10 songs sound the same genre like I, I I still don't know what genre we are when I'm going around talking to people to you know say maybe try and book a gig I, I, I don't know who we would be gigging with you know I don't know if we would be gigging with a punk band I don't know if we would be gigging with a heavy metal band or you know like a like a what it was like a gent metal band or something like that I just I don't know where we would be gigging so I just try and fit us in wherever <laughs> That's a positive though, Joe, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely a huge, uh, you know, arrow in your quiver is just the, the idea that the band is uh, so diverse that you could play uh, punk audiences and, you know, alternative metal audiences and stuff so well. Mm. Funny, like me and Richie were talking before trying to say, yeah, who, who does this band remind you of? And the band that came to mind with uh, for me was uh, Placebo. Like some of the like stuff from the first and second Placebo album, I could hear lots of that in the sound. Now, obviously, that's probably that. very different. <laughs> probably very different from I don't know what you guys are into, but like it certainly had lots of catchiness, not only in the singing but in the riffs. Like a lot of the riffs had um, loads of great melody in them, you know. Yeah. I love placebo, so I'll take that as a massive compliment. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. There is definitely a throwback to therapy. I can hear it coming through as well, but um, it really is George's delivery on those lyrics that is the punch. Um, for me on a lot of those songs so um, sending the love out to Jor <laughs> it was the last thing he said to me before I left before I left the meeting he was trying to let me know how, how the thing tonight goes and I was like yeah no problem so he, he's my first phone call when, whenever this ends and he'll be yeah. very happy I'm sure <laughs> and um, Wormhole Death Records and they they're after snapping up paint as well Um mm-hmm. It's interesting, and it's great to see that they're interested in, in an Irish scene there that's, that's pretty vibrant, to be fair. It, mm. I think the Irish scene is going to fucking take off in the next 
year. I think it's great though that uh, a lot of the Irish music, you know, I think that the the problem, well, not it's not not a problem, but Irish metal used to be very synonymous with Irish music, you know, especially from the like you know from the nineties into early two thousands and stuff. A lot of the bands who were around were bands who had that sort of Celtic connection or, you know, like Cruacons and Primordials and stuff like that, you know? Mm. So it's really it's really cool to see that the labels aren't looking for that kind of metal. I have nothing against that, yeah. I'm just saying. But it's, it's great yeah, to yeah. see, like, that they're saying, listen, Ireland can produce some really good modern metal, you know, that isn't yeah, necessarily... Yeah, exactly. Or they're not trying to use Ireland as a kind of fucking, you know, as just, you know, here's the gimmick, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, uh, but the biggest problem, Joe, then is that we've got so many bands here and <laughs> there's only four or five cities that can accommodate them. Yeah. Yeah, but those those bands, you know, target audiences are not in those cities, you know, um, and that's nothing against. I love, like, all the cities in Ireland are great places to hang mm-hmm. about and booze in and stuff, but, mm-hmm. like, if you look at the modern touring cycle for bands who come to Ireland, it tends to be Belfast, Dublin, Limerick, you know? Yeah. Places like yeah. Drogheda and Derry and Cork, to some extent, that used to be able to, you know, um, like, uh, host bands and stuff have kind of fallen by the wayside to some extent, so, mm-hmm. like, I think that, uh, going back to what we are talking about, going over to England and trying to, like, the, the target audience is definitely not Ireland, you know. Mm-hmm. I remember, like I said, so I've, I've said earlier on, I go down to Cork every year. I've been going down to Cork since I was zero. You know, I, I 31 years, we go down to Skull in the west of Cork every year without fail. I'm only back about a week. I was down there for two weeks. Uh, That's where you got the whiskey. Uh, oh, uh. oh, no, no, no. I've had that for like a year. <laughs> I bought more, but... Okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> I remember it was back when I was like nine. So this is 1999, 98. And we were in Skull. There's only three bars in Skull. And they're the size of this room. They're they're not big. No, well. There was, a, there was a ska band called the Fluid Druids. And part of their tour was Hackett's, the courtyard, and then the Bun Rally. They played all three <laughs> bars in the street. Right? Now, you cannot get a band into these places. You can't get people into these places, but... You couldn't move. And we got talking to them. And they were coming up the, the week after they played court, they were coming up to be a back in band. They're for Neville Sharp. Are the the specials? The specials. Specials. Yeah. But they were playing the Fela, which at the time was in the Kennedy Center in a tent, which was twenty steps away from where I lived. Jesus, and it was just so bizarre that you mean. And they were, they were English band as well. They came over just to sort of get a couple of gigs on the scene, and they went down and played these wee tiny bars, packed to the capacity. Yeah. And even though twenty people was capacity, it was still like, like the, 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 you just couldn't explain the kind of vibe that was going on. It was fantastic. So when we said to them, "Oh," He says, oh, we're going up to play with Elvis Sharp in, um, in Belfast. I went, and, you know, my dad was like, what, in the field? And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, see if you look out the tent, we're like the fifth house on the right. <laughs> we couldn't believe it. And you don't get that. Like we were like in, in school this year, yeah. this is the first year I've seen it back to it, its full 
itself. You know, the past mm-hmm. 10 years we've been there, bars have closed, restaurants have closed, each shops have closed, everything's on the up and up. And, you know, hopefully that happens. It's down to staycations, man. Yeah. That's basically it. People, Irish people couldn't go abroad and they fucking got the weather mm-hmm. this summer for the first time ever. And people really had a fantastic time um, yeah. going around Ireland touring and, you know, yeah. and, and, and wasn't it an absolute fucking shame that our Irish bands weren't able to play while everybody was moving exactly. around. Exactly. And that, that's what I was getting to there. It was like, if you picked like 10 towns, not even the cities, you just picked 10 towns around Ireland back in like the 90s, you could have toured them and you would have had 20 dates and you could have toured them, no problem. And the bars well, enough, um, would have been full of capacity. I was, um, I was looking at a Thin Lizzy tour dates from 1981 or something like that and they had like Castle Bar and mm-hmm. everywhere in between, you know, so it's kind of hard to say. Like, I, I don't know if there's like, you know, is there virgin territory out there? Like, could you get a big package of cool Irish bands, you know, the Dangerfields and us and you guys and a whole other bunch of bands and go and play Cork and Galway and Derry and, you know, all these other places and get a turnout or, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's... It doesn't necessarily have to be a city as, like, Castle Bar is a great example. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But is there a scene there, you know? Yeah. This is it. I think indie bands... Uh, certainly would get away with pulling in people that wouldn't necessarily be into indie, but if they're playing in relation to metal, it's a bit it's a bit more difficult because it's just people's perception of metal. Yeah. There's one bar up here in Bangor called the Goat's Tone. Uh, yeah, that's Craig. Is it Craig Walker? Is he, is he involved in that? Uh, I, the girl I always dealt with was a girl called Tasha. Um, okay. And Junior Afrifa, you probably heard of him, Longhorns. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. So do. He, yeah, would, yeah, he yeah. would do sound and all that kind of stuff in there. But it, it's a bar I found, you know, since Cartier City, we um, we did an EP launch in the Goats, though, purely because it was one of the only bars that don't charge in. Mm. But you're not, like, it's the kind of clientele that come to the bar. They're the rockers. They're the, you know, the headbangers. They're the, the ones that the punks, they love all this kind of stuff. So, even an original band playing in the corner, you know, you, you still get this attraction of you know people coming up and going, oh, what's yeah. going on up here? And there's very, mm-hmm. very few bars like that now, you know. And there's a lot of bars in Belfast. You know, if you if you started, you know, if those kind of bars didn't go for just oh, there's a generic cover band. And don't get me wrong, I've been in cover bands. Yeah, it pays and it's fantastic, but. I just think if there's more bars up north that just turn around and said, oh, we're going to do even just one night a week, we'll do originals, you know, take a bit of pressure off the likes of The Limelight and Voodoo and Speakeasy and, you know, all the bars. that they, These are the ones that put on the shows that everybody wants to play shows. Yeah. You know. And then, look, we, we all knew it was going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everybody, all the bands are scrambling for gigs. Um, so what's going to happen now is there's going to be midweek gigs. Yeah. And then you because know, everything's uh, getting back to normal and people are working, no one's going to show up for a midweek gig. Yeah, this is the fucking thing. This is the argument. Is the scene going to be saturated all of a sudden mm-hmm. and then people are going to be the same fucking moaners that don't go to gigs are going to be moaning and then suddenly you've got a band like yourselves coming down to Cork on a Thursday night and then maybe 
20 or 10 turn up, you just don't fucking know, really. It's like a hard sell, though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's hard to, hard to get. I'm sure if you, like, if, if you ask the other guys in your band, do you want to come and, you know, do a gig in Palomino on a Tuesday, they'd be like, <laughs> you mad. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> but again, part of me, like, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just my mindset, but I'm not opposed to that. You know, it's, I, I can't remember what I was reading. I was reading, what was I reading? I can't remember. I was reading something today and it was the same thing. It was, it was Dave Grohl. Dave Grohl's just released this new book and one of the things he was saying is just go play mm. to where we'll let you play. And, you know, to a certain point, you know, anywhere there's electricity, it it works, but, you know, you, you can be playing to one person in there, but if you're able to do that 40 times, there's 40 people. Yep. And then the next time you're going back and play that place, there might be two people. So there's 80 people. And it's just, it's repetition. I love his logic. I always, I always admired Dave Grohlman. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it just takes, you, you know, to have the confidence and the, the willpower to go and do something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And again, that's what we were talking about. You know, it's it's bands from Northern Ireland and, Bel- and Belfast and Ireland and all across the place having the willpower to say, right, well, we've exhausted all the shows here. Let's go across. There's a, another big place over there. Let's do it. Yep. I remember the first time I played a show in London, which was, you know, back in 2010, 2011. We're playing in Kingston in a bar called The Peel. I was in a, it was a rock band and we were playing with a band called Tankus the Henge, which are, the only way I can describe them is like a circus ska reggae band and <laughs> no one had ever heard of us it was a festival that we were lucky enough to get on the bill with we went over like a southern rock band 500 people in this place we had brought t-shirts over with us we had brought cds over with us so loud and um, no one had ever heard of us so it just you just go over and hope for the best it's interesting could could those uh Places like Castlebar, Athlone. I always think students are there to be harvested for music. Um, on a fucking Thursday night in any student bar. Like I remember there used to be battle of the bands in, in universities and colleges and stuff like. And like, even though it might be metal, people will be still there because the booze is cheap. Yeah. And again, this is the argument because Queen's had fantastic facilities for this. But when it came to the big drinking nights where they were like, okay, we're going to get people through the door here. They didn't put bands on because they were, they were afraid that, oh, people might leave and we're not going to get the, the turnout. It's students. You're going to get the turnout. They're going to come because the drink is a quid a pound. You know, yeah. they're not going anywhere else. They don't care what music's yeah, on in like, the background. You know, an, an Oktoberfest or whatever, you know, people like obviously are enjoying that there's German music or ska bands on or whatever, but like, it's like drinking and music is what's entertaining them. Like if it was just crickets and beer, they might be less entertaining. You know? <laughs> but you're, you're right as well, what you were saying, Richie. Like I remember back in the 90s, uh, like bands like Manson used to come and play in Cold Rain because there was a big university there. And they were just like, yeah, there's 30,000 people go to uni there. So, you know, we're assuming that, you know, 800 of them will come and see Manson, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, one, one of the big things that we have been sort of um, trying to get is onto the American college radio stations 
because that's just <laughs> you're talking millions of people and it, you know it's played in in the students unions it's played these radio stations you don't know who you're going to be listening to on them but if you pick out that one song and be like oh I've never heard that before what's that that's what Shazam's for that's what you know yeah. internet's for it's like who sang that song but you know what? That's what happened. Radiohead, like Radio Creep, took off on American radio, and then you know they were on tour supporting Tears for Fears over there, mm-hmm. like in 1994, and it just went from there. You know, so there, there's a lot to be said. Like we think of radio as being a very archaic form, but in America, it's not. You know, because all those universities have their own radio stations. You know, yeah, and they they do it because again they they put the time and investment into that sort of creative arts. You know, people who want yep. to do radio, people who want to be in broadcasting, that's why they have them. You know, there's, there isn't a Queen's radio station, isn't a, a you know, a University of Ulster radio station. But can you imagine, you know, if you take the McGee campus up in, in Coleraine and, and the one in Derry as well, if you had campus radio for those, you look at the number of bands that are up in Derry, you know, you look at the number of people who go up to study music in Derry and stuff, it's, that's, that's where you, you know, you break your bones, that's where you get recognised. I think it's a seriously untapped market for metal uh, is those uh, universities and colleges. Just say, for example, you play Limerick University, the student bar there. People will go, I wonder who, what is Farnworth? It's not as if you're fucking, your name is Cannibal Corpse, Mm -hmm. which then portrays Oh, wow. these lads are yeah. going to be metal. You know what I mean? Farm Wolf could fucking roll up to Cork, roll up to Limerick in these student bars and play a gig there to comfortably 40, 50 people. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bane because, I mean, I grew up in Cork in the in my 20s and the scene in Cork was just second to none. And a lot of those bands, the likes of the Frank and Walter, Sultan's being Emperors of Ice Cream, the Shanks, they were all playing out in UCC mm-hmm. the whole time. The student bars were full and the boys were playing and didn't have a clue who they were. Literally, yeah. they didn't care. We did it for Cards yesterday. So, again, it was one of the EPs we decided to do um, the release show in Barcelona in Queens. And we did it midweek on a Wednesday. But this, the, the Students' Union had drink specials on Wednesday. So we asked, can we have them down in, in the bar downstairs where we we're playing? And we went, yeah, no problem. So uh, b- before we even started playing, we walked straight up to the student junior, right, there's live music downstairs. Come on down and listen. Same drink offers are down. I think we got maybe 30 people through the door just from doing that. Again, it's just, you know, if they had it in the main bar, it was like 270, 200, 300 people in, in the student junior upstairs. And all you had to do was have the music up there. Drinks are yeah. still, the, the drinks are probably going to go even, even further now because if you don't want to listen to the music, you're going to be like, right, well, I'm going up to the bar to get a pint here. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's what I would do. Yeah. Are, you, uh, are you very image conscious, man? Or like, how, how do you kind of feel about that whole side of it? Because oh, no. it's a weird... I- like, you know, I, I, no I don't care about image. image <laughs> is an image, isn't it? Like, you know, whenever people think no image... You're thinking about Metallica, you know, Master of Puppets, jeans and T-shirts, but they also but look really cool. Now, that's that's the ironic thing. That's now the image because you're going, oh, you must like Metallica because you wear all of these things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, no, I mean, well, I mean, like, I mean, I, I'm 
metal band all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing a Boston Celtic, a Boston Celtic stuff. You know, I love basketball, so that's what I'm wearing at the minute. But I mean, the majority of the t-shirts I own are just either black or white. <laughs> if they have something on it, it's because you know it was cheap at the time. I, 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 I don't think any of us care about what we look like. I mean, I wear hats. Like, as in, would you consider it contrived to, like, you know, wear suits or, you know, whatever the thing might be? Or is it just something where you're like, you know what, we're off for anything apart from dressing like Kiss or whatever? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think the best example, when I was in Altus, which was like a, a heavy metal band, I decided one day to go into fresh garbage and buy the biggest flowers that I could find. <laughs> and it was nothing more than I, did, I, I just I wanted to see if people would notice and for weeks it was the very first show that we ever played and for weeks after that anyone I was talking to about the show were like oh I saw your trousers and I, 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 I saw the idea that people do notice these things and I was like mm. I, I don't black <laughs> it's black and yeah. happy with that <laughs> it's an interesting point though Joe I understand what you're saying especially with the lads now in, in relation to the next step if they had an image alright but I mean I mean they're safe enough with fucking just all wearing black t-shirts and you know black jeans no, whatever you know I, I do agree with it I mean if you take a band like Ender Shikari they started off as ravers and loved all that kind of stuff and yeah that's right they've yeah. progressed now to like, the last time I saw them and to, to a certain extent I see a, a uniform you know you go to work yeah. you're, you're wearing a uniform so I, I do agree with it um, but at the same time I, I think you know as long as everyone looks clean and you know yeah, you don't have three guys wearing black and one guy wearing beach shorts and a tank top. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it before, man. I remember playing like this, uh, this, like they were like a black metal band and they obviously had had some sort of argument about this because two of the guys were wearing corpse paint and he said the other guys were wearing tracksuits or whatever, like, you know, and there was no, no clear direction, you know? Because the thing is, like, I suppose like what you're saying is, you want to be yourself, you know, and be very natural. But at the same time, being on stage and going nuts and stuff is also an unnatural thing to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, I think you want to try and sort of find something that obviously represents who you guys are as people and as a band, you know? Like, we used to have rows about stuff. It was like, not allowed to wear that Tears for Fears t-shirt on stage. And then a couple of years later, everyone was like, oh, I'm wearing a Tears for Fears t-shirt. That means you can't wear a Tears for Fears t-shirt. Yeah. It's like... Ridiculous. Why? hundred percent. I mean, the, the, the best example of that is Slipknot. You know, look at yeah. where they started. They were like, "Oh, let's wear masks. Let's wear jumpsuits because they didn't want to be seen as this person and look like this." They're like, "Let's just go completely unrecognized. No one knows who we are." And and now that's like this huge thing. It's a huge image that everyone looks at and go, "Oh yeah, that's Slipknot." That's yeah. who they are. And same with Metallica, same with all those sort of like 70s, 80s bands and stuff. As, as soon as they, it's it's not that they started out to have an image, but 
just being themselves almost became that image and yeah I mean there's arguments both for and against you know as I said if you just turned up on stage with flip-flops and a fucking Bermudas and a Hawaiian t-shirt man you're just asking for yeah, fucking trouble there you know yeah especially if there's like as you said you have record label interest and you could have a guy there that could represent you as a PR in England and stuff like that and he sees you just dressing fucking crazy you're just kind of going Ugh. yeah it can you know? certainly turn off for like I think yeah. The more serious people definitely have a problem with color, you know, and like I think yes. that is probably something to say about metal is that generally there there is a bit of a black uniform about it, and like anything that's outside, it's very conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is weird, isn't it? Because you think of the whole thing is that it's like it's like rebellion, but at the same time, you know, Jimmy Dean rebellion, it was still an outfit, like you know, we were talking mm-hmm. about like you know blue jeans and white t-shirt like he couldn't arrive wearing a Hawaiian shirt as he said Richie <laughs> yeah I don't know that's I mean Richie was talking about earlier on the the, um, the video with the car chase that he did for Zero Gravity I was wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt in that you were <laughs> I know yeah but again it, it played a part so the whole point about Zero Gravity was we were trying to like, I think we had all just watched Fight Club one night and went oh let's do that and in Fight Club um Brad Pitt is he's always worn the Hawaiian shirt. Or you yeah. know, there's there's parts of it where it's like this Hawaiian shirt. Oh right, well I'll do that. So there was method to it. <laughs> oh yeah, there's no doubt about it, you know. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. A bit of sometimes just a bit of thought into what you're wearing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But like it is fascinating in relation to the music that we all love that there is, there is definitely a conservatism running through it. Um, and the biggest example was when Metallica changed their image completely for the Black Album and everybody went, what the fuck? But I think more so than anything else was the fact that they fucking cut their hair more makeup rather than the fucking mm-hmm. outfits they were wearing. I think, though, that was a better thing because with, like, Load, the fact that they changed their image with Load and cut their hair and stuff like that uh, gave it much more of an idea of this is probably you know, representative of the music in some way. But, you know, if they hadn't looked like thrashers and then were playing this easy toppy type stuff on Load, and I love Load, like Load's one of my favourite Metallic albums, mm-hmm. but um, I could see that people would be more pissed off because they would have said, this can says baked beans on the outside, but on the inside it's spaghetti hoops or whatever, you know? <laughs> That's a good <laughs> analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Load, sorry. Fucking the Black Album. Yeah, but again, they did change their image in the Black Album to a degree as well. well there was no the more black. fucking wearing the torn T-shirts yeah. or any of that shit. It was like, all everybody has to wear black at all times, you know, and mm-hmm. not allowed to wear other bands' T-shirts and stuff like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but you know, like that's a weird thing, like because obviously the Black Album, everything's about it at the minute, because you know they're going through the whatever it is, thirty years since it came out. Um, like it was a, a handbook you know, for a lot of the bands that came afterwards, you know, um, yeah. and a lot of the 80s bands were very singery, you know, guys with, um, as you were saying, Dave, like, like handkerchiefs and stuff tied to their microphones and that sort of crack. Whereas like after the Black Album, it became very, your singer is also your rhythm guitar player and, you know, yeah. Black is, Black is number one. 
That's typo, sir. I think grunge then was a complete reaction to that then. Yeah. Brought it back to just jeans and shirts and t-shirts, none of this contrived yeah. outfits. And then you had pop punk came in and all of a sudden it was the skater wear. It was, you know, oh, let's everyone wear, you know, board shorts and, and vans and Converse, which the way around, that's what I grew up on. You know, though, uh, in metal, uh, there was a little bit of that stuff going on, you know, when they're like mid nineties to late nineties and stuff. A lot of the new metal bands uh, were dressed in similar kind of garb or even stuff like Anthrax or uh, Sepultura, especially like they were one of the bands who brought football tops and stuff into into the yeah. scene. But, you know, yeah. where before that, it would have been mm. like apart from Steve Harris and Iron Maiden, no one had an opinion <laughs> on football. Like you know, <laughs> you, you, you go corn as well. Corn, you know, yeah, Adidas tracksuits. Yeah, that was like the but that was, were, that was why they were so revolutionary as, aside exactly. from the music and stuff was that they didn't look like a metal band no. they weren't like fucking you know <laughs> leopard print tracksuits and all this sort of crazy <laughs> shit they were like holy fuck they look as insane as their music sounded at the time you know well nine times out of ten John Davies came out wearing a kilt <laughs> so, which yeah, is I mean, property of Axel Rose obviously <laughs> yeah <laughs> hey we, we'll go back to Bond Scott for that Yes, actually, you're right about that, isn't it? Bond was there first. Yeah. So he was. was. fuck's sake. There's a lot we covered tonight, man. And the main crux of the thing is that we, we want Jert to stay on as a singer and guitarist, which you've assured us he will. Um, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. I mean, as I said, man, your future is ahead of you. As a band, you're, you've gotten stronger over this fucking period. And... Uh, Here's the 2022 performance. May be successful and may you get touring crucially as well. Oh, we're been talking to people down in Cork, so you'll see us yet. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Joe, as always, thank you for coming on. Cheers, Joe. Nice to meet you, Jeff. Nice to meet you too, man. Cheers. Cheers, lads. And crucially, support your local metal scene. Absolutely. Absolutely.